3.5K to go. The brake has been overhauled. Well, actually, that's, that was the lapped rider just got overhauled. The brake of earlier has been overhauled. Quick step setting up on the front. EF setting up on the front. Michael Marku and Cavendish look to be in prime position. We are standing on the final corner, literally on the final corner. Yeah, anybody looking out first? There's a big zebra crossing on the ground in front of us. Check his head. But yeah, we've just seen the riders go past on the opposite side of the road. Three and a half kilometers to go. They'll turn left now, down along the river, turn left into the tunnel, and then they'll come out of the tunnel and it's basically a kilometer to go at that point. And we've seen Cav and, and Morku sitting quite far back for most of the stage so far. Uh, but they've moved, when they passed us here just a second ago, they were, what, fifth, sixth wheel? So Pretty far up. Yeah, uh, they've controlled this almost perfectly. And Got a bit of help from Israel Startup Nation. Julian Alphilippe just rolling by. He pulled the plug there on the uh, end of the final lap. It's a hard, it's actually a hard loop. I don't think people really realize that sometimes. That it's, well, one, it's cobblestone. Uh, not big old Roubaix cobblestones, but still, it's rough. And it's just a slow drag all the way up to the arc and then a slow down all the way back. And Alaphilippe has actually just stopped here to watch the final uh, <laughs> two kilometers on the big large screen in front of us. Ah, oh, he's taken off again. <laughs> he must be hoping to get to the next big screen before the finish. So, but yeah, I, I rode the course this morning. Actually, it is a lot harder than it looks on TV. It is not flat, um, and even you know it drags up towards the finish line and on through up towards the arc. But even when you turn and you come back down again, like I did it this morning. It was slightly downhill. I had a bit of a tailwind, but it's still blooming hard. <laughs> it's, it doesn't roll easy on on the champs here, certainly not. And actually, we just seen. One of the riders from uh, Total Energies, who must have had an issue on one of the opening laps, spent a long time in the cars, couldn't get back into the bunch, which is an indicator as to just how fast they're going. Uh, and we just seen him get a lap now. So hopefully he's allowed to actually finish the last lap and, and finish the tour, because that would be rather cruel to be pulled out with, what, six and a half K to go? Surely they wouldn't. 1.3 K to go. They're about 500 meters away from us. About to get real loud right here. Big step. Cav is on Wout's wheel. And the sprint is being opened up by, it looks like, Alps and Phoenix. I don't know why I'm commentating. You've probably already seen this. It's an extra, what is it, an extra 300 meters to the finish line from the last corner this year. So somebody could must time it if they've done the shops oh, a lot before. Cav's all boxed in, but. Oh. Oh. Wild Van Aert. <laughs> oh, you saw Cav just smack his handlebar there. He was not, not pleased by that. Oh, ooh, there's a competing podcast right over here. There's, it's, it's the podcast off. Remember that scene from Anchorman? <laughs> it was. You know, the extra 300 meters there, again, it doesn't sound like much, but given that drag, given the extra distance away from this final corner, makes the sprint a little bit less punchy, a little bit more draggy. A little bit harder. We're seeing Cav just uh, giving some hugs, getting some hugs. We're down by the buses, actually, so riders will be coming back here, and we're going to hope to talk to some of them on their way back. Uh, we're hoping that the the tour bubble has burst, basically, <laughs> as as of the end of the race, and we can actually get some folks.
That was, that was the UAE bus. <laughs> that went on that went on at least 10 seconds longer than it probably needed to. That is the worst vuvuzela I have ever heard. <laughs> anyway, oh god. I mean, I, I get they're excited, but it's a terrible horn. <laughs> Allez, Julian. Julian's coming in. Uh, yeah, long, draggy sprint. Uh, maybe worked in Watt's favor today. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, just as I was saying there, as we're watching the sprint unfold, they, they, they moved the finish line this year at, at least an extra 300 meters further forward than, or further, closer to the Arc de Triomphe than it has been in previous years. And as far as I know, the old finish line has been like that for for pretty much all of Cavendish's ones. So yeah, I, I don't think he actually, I don't think he missed time to do it. I think he just got boxed in. And by the time that door opened and let him out, um, and granted, I'm only sort of recalling this from having seen it once, but it looked like he was just boxed in for a little bit too long. When the door opened, couldn't get the sprint launched in time. And yeah, White Van Art, you know, the, the guy that won the mountain stage, the guy that won the time trial <laughs> yesterday, has now won the Sprinters World Championships on the Champs-Élysées. Amazing, absolutely amazing. and. Yeah, we're, we're, it looked to me like Cav, you know, he picked the right side, right? Because the wind was actually from the right. But that the, the danger in that is that it pushes the whole group to the to the left. And actually, that's what happened. He got he got boxed in. He did not have the incredible lead out that he, we have seen in previous stages. And and a big part of that is because the teams did make him work for it today. Uh, Quickstep was on the front much of the day today. We saw Tim DeClerc pulling all kinds of faces. He was literally coming by 10 feet from us, pulling all kinds of faces, what, four or five laps out. And that, that meant that they just didn't have a lot at the, uh, the, at the end there. Yeah, so, you know, that, that sort of situation, it's a bit of a catch-22 for the sprint teams in that you have to ride for it to be a sprint, especially the Koenig today. They had to ride for it to be a sprint. But by doing that, you're, you know, you're weakening your chances of actually being able to set your sprinter up. So it's... I've just got it. It's, it's, I just got it. It's a horn for each of the jerseys that he's won. A siren for the yellow, a siren for the white, and a siren, siren for the polka dot. Now you make it stop. Oh, please don't do that again. Oh, Kenny Ellison coming in. All right, Rona, we're, we're, we're just kind of waiting around for riders to come back right now. They're all up. They're up right after the finish. They all kind of hug each other. And then they slowly make their way down to the buses, which is where we are. Any other thoughts on that sprint there today? Oh. <laughs> Richard, what do you think of that? Uh, what do you think of that sprint today? I think the new finish favored Van Art. Exactly what we just said. It's, it's a strong man's finish, isn't it? Um, That's exactly what we just said. Well, I mean, great, great minds think alike. What can I say? Tom's, you finished yet another Tour de France. How are you feeling? Uh, pretty good, actually. This time, uh, the Chancelouis was, uh, as they call it here, uh, the locals. That's how they call it, by the way. Uh, was actually a lot easier than uh, usual. Really? Yeah, I don't know why, but it was. Maybe you're just faster now. No. <laughs> Wrong answer. Saw so you uh, chatting with with Pog there, one of the laps. What were you guys talking about? Yeah, I was just saying uh, congratulations. Do, do a lot of folks just sort of like swing through and say hi and give them a little pat on the back, and is that kind of like a normal thing? 
Yeah, I think uh, pretty much everyone in the peloton. How do you feel about this tour now? You're all wrapped up. Was it different? Was it better? Was it worse? It was pretty fun, actually. Uh, it was fun to come in without a GC guy and uh, just go stage hunting and stack the brakes like uh, good old junior days. <laughs> How many brakes did you get in this, this tour? Was it me? Yeah. Not that many. It was only three, though, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Well, there weren't that many breakaway days this Tour de France, right? No, but I mean, it was more about uh, if there's three of us, I don't need to be there anymore. I just need to make sure that there's three of us in there. And you're off to Tokyo, right? Yeah, I got to catch flight in a few hours. So no party tonight. Party on the airplane with my pillow. <laughs> Congratulations, Toms. Thanks. So I'm joined now by Heno Straten, the head of marketing for Continental. And Heno, I just want to ask you about some of the uh, work that Continental does on the Tour de France, because you know we see the Continental logos on the podium, on the road. We see it with a lot of teams, but it was only last night that I heard about how much work goes into this inside program that we have the chance to participate in today. And then also you have a, a cadets program or a junior program as well. Just tell me a little bit about those. First of all, we are very proud to be a main sponsor of the Tour de France. We also provide uh, medals um, for the stage winners. So they get a little bit of a piece, looks like a tire and something as an honor for the great achievements they have done. Um, besides that, um, the, the activation of such a sponsor is absolutely crucial. So it's not only paying the bill and being part of it, it's you have to do a lot of activities. Because safety is so important for us, we do a safety training for the drivers, all the cars accompanying the, um, the program on Continental Tires. Um, spectators who are coming um, to the event uh, and they drive with their car, we offer a free service check for the tires. So it's a huge program around where we would love to help to increase the safety of our customers. Okay, now we've got Felix Ziegler here, the uh, sponsorship manager at Continental. And Felix, can you tell me a bit about that junior program? Yeah, thank you very much. It's the Young Cadets and uh, we have been uh, yeah, supporting this program from the very start in uh, 2018 when we came on board at the Tour de France. So the Young Cadets basically do the first and last 30 kilometers of the stage a few hours before the pro riders. And so they get to really feel this experience, how it is to be a pro rider. Um, they um, get the full treatment. They are announced at the start line to the local people. Um, they get uh, to see how it is to ride in front of all these spectators being cheered on and then they they go over the finish line, they're on the podium. Um, so a really nice experience for them that hopefully then encourage them to push on and become professionals. And we had some really nice stories. Like uh, I think a lot of people know Arno Demar, you know, a French champion. Um, he was on the Young Cadets program uh, years ago. So it really encouraged them to, to turn pro later on. So, you know, the partnership between Continental and the Tour de France, it sort of merges Continental, who are famous for making tires for cars and road bikes and all, all sorts of bikes and with a bike race is there any sort of expertise that continental can can bring to you know both worlds both the cycling and the, the motoring world yeah first of all i think continental as a corporation stands for safety so one of our key direction is that our customers should be safe whatever products they buy from us for sure that's for tires and so when you drive a continental tire on a bike on a car on a truck you should be very safe when you drive home or wherever you go. But Conti is a little bit more than just tires. And for example, we have systems in place 
which spot, for example, in a truck where you have blind spots, where you can't see your bike and there have been a lot of accidents. So we provide systems which detects this in the blind spot existing drivers and warn the driver that there's a bicycle next near, next near to you, so you can't go left or right. So it's a little bit more than tires, it's systems, and but they, they all go in the direction of safety. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we just think of Continental as a as, as tire brand, but there's actually much more to it than this. Absolutely. So yeah, nice bit of crossover between the two um, motors, motoring industry and the cycling industry. But one thing I noticed on this Tour de France was the uh, some of the tires on the vehicles for the Tour de France and some of the team tires, team vehicles have these really, what I think is really cool looking Continental tires with big orange Continental logo. Is that just for the Tour or might we see that in future? This is just for the tour. We want to really make it visible. Uh, we have also a special series of tires, which we call the Tour de France tires. So we do certain things, but this is more marketing um, element um, for standard series at the moment. It is not foreseen, but um, there's always ideas our R&D guys have, but we place them in as soon as we are ready. Well, I remember one time the cream tires that I'm riding now were just a limited edition. So maybe we might see those orange uh, logos in future. Ronnie, you have additional sprint thoughts because we just saw a replay. Yeah, well, it, it's kind of when you're watching, I guess, live, it's kind of hard to. I'm not, I'm not Cavendish, I can't remember it <laughs> perfectly, uh, second by second, but uh, it, you know, watching it there again, it looked like you know, he, he did get the chance, the door opened a little bit sooner than I remembered it opening, and it just seemed like uh, White Van Arch had the legs stronger. Strongman's finish there today with the drag up towards the the champs. It, it's I remember in previous years you kind of you come out of that last corner and you know it's 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 almost just the last lead out man there, but it was a very different story when we seen them today and that meant it was much longer on the champs and, and the sprint. And well, think back to to the Renshaw Cav sprint, you know, like it was literally Renshaw out of that last corner, and then he finished in second. <laughs> so a very different sprint today. I mean, because Cav was. And wow, they were, they were what, probably fourth, fifth, I believe, out of that last corner. I'd have to go back and look at it again. But they, they weren't sitting in second wheel. That that much is really clear. So, yeah, just a really different timing necessary for today. Yeah, and, um, you know, Van Aert seemed to have the strongest lead out there in the finish as well. I'm, I'm assuming it must have been Mike Tunison was was leading him out there. And, yeah, another former stage winner at the, at the Tour de France. So I'm actually kind of wondering, with second place overall and one, two... Three, four, four stage wins. Four stage wins. Um, would this tour have gone any better for Jumbo Visma had <laughs> had Roglic stayed in the race? Like it's, they only have four. Was it four riders? If four riders and four stage wins. Yeah, of uh, Van Aert, of course, has three of those stage wins. But <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's debatable whether Roglic could have really taken it to to Pogaccia with the form we've seen Pogaccia have here. So. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe second place overall is the best they could have had in only. And yeah, they've got it with a new young rider. Uh, they're going to have to tie him down the longer contract, I guess. But Well, they might not have gotten all the stage wins if they were fully working for Roglic, right? I mean, so they may have come out of this race actually better than they were before. In, exactly. I want to talk kind of bigger picture stuff while we're sort of waiting for riders to come. So we may, we may interrupt these, these chats here if we can snag somebody. Whole Tour de France. We just talked about Yumbo Visma, four riders and, and four stage wins. Obviously, 
massively impressive. Anybody underperform at this tour? Could, could you give me a heads up for that one? I don't want to go hating on them again, but if we're talking about teams who have underperformed and based on their 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 previous record at this race, we certainly have to look at Team Ineos, the Grenadiers. They, you know, they they they've come away now with third place, which of course would be, uh, you know, a tremendous achievement for some teams, but a third place overall, no stage wins, uh, and really, you know, they came in here with potentially four riders who could who could get up in the overall. They finished with one thanks to crashes and that, but still, you know, I think there was a lot they could have done this final week to try and go for a stage win. You know, it might not have worked out, but at least be in the mix where. You know, it, it's 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 really been a tour to forget for for any else Grenadiers, I think. Yeah, and and just not really racing the way that they kind of promised us too. I mean, they kept they kept having a good reason for sitting on the front and sitting on the front and sitting on the front and sitting on the front. It didn't work once, not once, and it didn't really benefit them that much either because they ended up in third overall. Which I mean, there's a big old buffer back to fourth. That was not really a concern. So just a. a an unsuccessful bit of tactics from from Ineos. most of the race, I would say. Yeah, certainly. You know, we we were questioning those tactics when we when we seen them, but you know, you're sort of given the benefit of the doubt. We don't know what the conversations are inside the team bus. We don't know what the the actual actual tactic is. All we see is what we see on TV, and it, we we don't even know if the way things panned out in those stages that we seen Ineos riding was what they had planned. I would imagine when they're doing all the riding, they're going for a stage one at least. But you know, and and they end up. Who was it? Mike Tyson said, "Every everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face." <laughs> uh, I think any uh, else got punched in the face twenty one times in this tour. I would agree. I would agree. I, I think um, Team DSM for me underperformed mostly just relative to their tour last year, which was exceptional. And granted, you know, they lost a number of riders since then, uh, but still, just was kind of anonymous for the most part. This uh, this whole race and. You know, Case Bowl was was kind of up there in, in sprints for the last couple of years, and was basically anonymous again in those. So, yeah, a bit of an underperformer for me as well. Yeah, they, you know, they certainly compared to last year, it's it's not the same team. Last year they were, you know, the sort of the team of the tour. They took away I can't remember how many stages. Of course, they were called somewhere back then, but uh, still the same team, still the same management, a lot of the same riders, but just not the same end result. And is that because they've lost Mark Hirschi? I don't think one writer really uh, can make all that much difference, but we do hear a lot of talk about sort of the management style within that team, and you know, it, it, I think I'd liken it earlier in the tour to sort of the Jose Mourinho style that you can come in and have huge results immediately, but then it's sort of difficult to maintain that sort of relentless intensity. And I wonder, is it just maybe? hear that that was uh that mike tunison being put up on the shoulders yes with an excellent lead out today mike tunison over at, we're at we're at the yumbo visma bus um stuck him on the shoulders of his directors a little bit of a cheer yeah anyway back to dsm um they, they, they also just don't have that much money and so they struggle to hold on to real talent i mean like mark hershey got a lot more expensive after last year's tour de france right i mean I think he was on close to the minimum salary, they said, at last year's tour, and is probably making, I don't know, 10 times that now, at least, probably more. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's a budget issue for them as well, but there's it's certainly a management that seems to, it either works for a rider or it doesn't, and there's not a whole lot of in between. What's up, Coos? Just crossed the line in your 
the second Tour de France, first yeah. stage win. How are you feeling right now? Uh, pretty tired. It was a really hard tour. Uh, this last stage is always the worst one for me. Uh, but uh, yeah, happy to be done and uh, really great tour for, for the team. Uh, and uh, yeah, can't, can't be uh, more satisfied. Why is it so hard for you this last day? Just the cobbles? Uh, Not a big cobbles it's fan? Hard. It's hard for everybody. I think uh, that's the one piece of advice people give you is like, don't underestimate the, the final stage because it's, it's super fast. And uh, yeah, you're mentally also not not uh, fully prepared to suffer again, so. <laughs> Going into next year, does this uh, does this tour count as like a step up or was that really last year? I mean, you, obviously stage win's a big move, but you were so good last year too. Uh, yeah, in a way, I mean, it's it's cool to have the stage win. I think overall, uh, I, I wasn't really where I wanted to be. Um, <laughs> So it's kind of it's kind of both. It's it's cool, nice to have the stage win, but I think overall I had a lot of days where I was not uh, uh, not not feeling so good. But um, yeah, either way, it's, uh, it's still a Volta left, and uh, yeah, that's that's a even even nicer race. <laughs> was that just down to an early crash, right? No, I didn't crash at all, actually. Yeah, so you're like the only one in the peloton then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After the Dauphiné, I was just kind of struggling and training didn't feel that good. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's how it goes. I mean, did everything I could. So <laughs> I, I think because the yeah, Pogacar had a, such a good margin that, um, you know, they didn't necessarily need to control uh, every every stage um, in the beginning. They, they could let a big break go and give it uh, 20 minutes if, if that's what uh, what was necessary. And also a lot of, there weren't so many summit finishes and it's it's hard to control a stage that's uh, that's not a summit finish. So as you saw in the last week, it was uh, easier to control. Um, but, uh, but other than that, it was a lot of breakaways. Last question. So you're rolling across the finish line there. I, I just, I like asking, like, what do you, what do you think about the second you get across? What is the, what is the thing going through your head the second you get across that last, or maybe even around the last corner? Um, uh, thank God it's over. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. Thanks, up, Ronan, who do you get? I'm not saying that again. <laughs> I think you just chatted with Ben O'Connor and, uh, and Sween Dog. Sween Dog, yeah. <laughs> That's what Mitch was calling me the other day in the press room, or the press zone. Um, I should say Mitch Docker, who is, who is a reporter this week. He's not even fully retired yet, and he's already a reporter. Uh, anyway, he's been calling over riders with interesting names, which I don't know if we could get away with. I don't think I could get away with him. I referred to him as his proper name. You didn't call him Sween Dog when he walked up? No, not this face, no. Uh, well, let's hear from them. Ben O'Connor, you've just finished on the Champs-Élysées, fourth place overall in your first Tour de France. How does that feel? Uh, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. It's a bit unreal. and. Yeah, I think just just uh, I think it all makes sense when when the race was finished, uh, when you see the jets uh, and the grandeur of Paris, and I saw ironically in the stand my fiance and my parents, but also the CEO of uh, Citroen at the same time. So it was kind of funny. Uh, he was taking photos of us, and uh, oh, I made me smile. It made me made me so happy. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm just uh, relieved and proud, man. And uh, we 
will, will you go forward from here aiming for GC and Grand Tours or, or what do you think? This, I mean, is for, this? I mean, for sure. I mean, with, with the fourth, it's kind of now semi-obligatory, um, but there's no need to change my way of racing where there's aggressivity and, uh, and also if, if the GC doesn't always work out, I know I can always win a stage of a Grand Tour too. Um, or of actually of any race. So I think it's one thing I must make sure I don't lose in the future too, this uh, aggressive mindset um, instead of just always waiting. So yeah, uh, there's, there's always options, no? <laughs> yeah, and racing from the front is a good way to do it. And we, we seen a, a tweet from your team this morning. It, it might've been just misunderstood, but it seemed to indicate today was your last race of the season. Is that true? Or? No, no, no. I mean, I could maybe. If it can be, if you want it to be, <laughs> pack my bags and go on holiday for for six months. But no, no, it's just uh, I will come back to racing. I think I'll have a good break though. I'll take five or six weeks. Uh, I think it's it's deserved, and I think uh, I think I really need it. <laughs> so congratulations again. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Always. All right, so you just finished your first uh, Tour de France. How does how does that feel? Can you even believe it? Not really, to be honest. Uh, I have to keep on pinching myself, especially rolling onto the Champs-Élysées today. Like, you know, you see it on TV and to be here and to have it happen, the jets rolling over, it's just, yeah, it's incredible, man. It's hard to believe. Everybody's talking about those jets, yeah. Can you really feel that atmosphere when you're in the middle of the bunch? Well, I wasn't in the middle of the bunch when they came over, so it was really special, yeah. yeah. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed myself, even though I didn't have the best of legs. It's yeah, just to be here and to have the fans cheering and yeah, for the first time back since COVID is yeah, phenomenal. You lost your leader earlier on, obviously with Caleb Ewan coming down the sprint and um, we've seen you go close yourself on stage into Nîmes. What can you take from this tour? Does it give you much confidence going forward for, for World Tour and Grand Tour races, I guess, in the future? Yeah, for sure. It shows me that I have uh, the skill set and the potential to go well in the classics, I think, uh, particularly with the guys I was in the break with, I showed that. But yeah, it gives me a lot of confidence that I do belong here. And, you know, it wasn't even so much the Tour de France, but whether I belong in the World Tour because I've only been pro for six months. And even when you make a pro, it's one of those things that you're not really too sure until you're sure. But um, yeah, to have that confidence now is really important for me. Well, as we said earlier, I think you can be sure to be sure now. Yeah, I think so, mate. <laughs> it's funny, some of the guys are like really bubbly and happy and some of them are just sound tired. You know, like they're just, they're just tired. No, some of them are just grumps. <laughs> it doesn't matter how tired you are. You should be enjoying this. Our promised Tade discussion, contextual Tade discussion is going to have to wait for a regular episode of the podcast. Plus, I want Abby and Dane on that one, frankly. Uh, having watched the entire tour from afar, they probably actually know much more about it than we do because that tends to be how it works. We will, we will get to that. I have a question for you. Simple question. We're not going to, again, not going to dive headlong into the Tade discussion. How many is, how many is he going to win? How many tours will Tade win? Four and a half. How do you win half a tour? Crash out in New Jersey. Or oh. not, not crash, but oh. have a problem in New Jersey. You put that bad juju on him. Like, the think about this for a second. This, this thing is 21 days long, three and a half thousand kilometers. Um... You know, we've seen this year Roglic is one of the favourites coming in, Christ. Garen Thomas, one of the favourites, Christ. How how realistic is it to expect anybody to get through it year after year after year? I mean, it is, it's not realistic, right? I mean, 
like you said, we've seen it just this tour, how hard it is, how hard it is to go back to back, how hard it is. Uh, we haven't had a lot of riders actually go back to back in the last couple of years, other than Pagacha. How hard it is to go back to back, how hard it is to just get through this thing without issues. You know, your lead up has to be perfect. The race has to be perfect. You have to have them, no mechanicals. Your team has to be at the right place at the right time. You can't fall down, right? At least not heavily. If you fall down, that's basically, that's basically it, right? I mean, just the, the, the amount of energy it takes to recover in the middle of a race like this, basically done. You're basically done. So yeah, to, to, get, to get through more than a couple of them without issue is, is just statistically really difficult. Yeah, exactly. And the, the other factor is like, just, just how long can you sustain that sort of ruthless mentality where the only thing that matters is, is the bike, training, diet, nutrition, everything that goes into winning the Tour de France. Because this doesn't just happen. These guys, you know, Pagazza won the Tour uh, towards the end of September last year. He only had, what, 10 months before this year's kicked off again. And very little downtime. Back on it again right for the start of the season. And it, it was it was already going well in UAE Tour, if I remember right. And it's not, it's not easy to do that. But the reason I'm sort of thinking four tours is if I compare him to... You know, Chris Froome. Froome came into a bit uh, much older than Pogaccia winning his first tour. 27. Yeah, of course, had to work for Wiggins for a year before he got his own chance. Um, and then won a tour, crashed out of a tour, won three tours, and then obviously had his, his bigger crash. But, um, you know, and the flip side of that, though, is that Froome is known for just how ruthless is the wrong word, but just how dedicated and determined he is to to get himself onto that podium every year or he was to get himself onto that podium every year and we haven't yet seen if Pogaccia will be able to sustain that level of that that mental level of what it takes to win the tour chris Froome won some kind of friendliness award from the aso this morning apparently he, he had a certificate at the start of like a certificate of friendliness the fair play award i thought that was only for football i don't i honestly don't know what it is Someone out there will have seen exactly what this thing is and tell us, or we'll find out after we put the podcast up. I've just seen a brief mention of this, but I will say that Chris Room has been very friendly this tour front. He's stopped a lot at the mix zone. He's happy to chat. You know, he could have gone the other way. He could have he could have come into this race, and everyone's everyone's talking about how he's not who he used to be. And that's hard. That is it's it's stressful, it's difficult, you know, as an athlete in particular, when your whole life is dedicated to being the best at something and you used to be. And you're not anymore. So kudos to him, really. Kudos to him for coming in here and, and kind of embracing it, kind of embracing the new role, embracing oh, just everything he's been through and not shying away from it. Because I think that would have been the easy thing. The easy thing would have been literally, don't talk to media the entire month, right? And I think a lot of riders in this race would have done that. So yeah, just just a brief kudos to Mr. Froome because he was a bit difficult sometimes when he was leading this race to cover. He was he was he would come back at us in the press, you know the the final press conferences were always quite a little bit contentious and he's really sort of he's flipped a bit maybe because we're nicer to him i don't know uh but he's flipped a bit and he was he was great this tour yeah and like as you said it would have been so easy for him you know to to just ignore the media but it also would have been i'm sure a lot lot easier at least physically after he had that serious crash to you know never come back to this race but yeah everyone would have understood Right. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's probably something he had to do for himself, get himself back to being one of the best professional cyclists in the world. Because if you finish this race, you clearly are one of the best cyclists in the world, regardless of whether 
you know, the last time we finished it, he was third, and this time he was closer to the to the back of the group. Just just to get round it again, I think uh, deserves a lot of a lot of respect for the, the the years of hard work that would have taken him to get even just to get back to the start line here. Never mind the the finish of the actual race. He's my he's my honorable mention for the Tour de France, and I would not have guessed that coming into this race because again, one bit of a contentious relationship between him and the press in general over time. I just never found it particularly inspiring anyway. Uh, not that inspiring as a rider, not that inspiring, you know, with the media. It's almost like there's been a weight lifted off his shoulders, I think. Uh, you know, the pressure to win is no longer there, and, and that's, that's, that's a big deal. So my honorable mention, uh, we can come up with some kind of award, a friendliness award, just like the ASO for Chris Room this month. All right, Ronnie, it's time to rate this Tour de France. Now, uh, our good friend at uh, Eurosport and Cycling Podcast, Daniel Freib, he rates them in, in glasses of red wine. Uh, I think we can be more stereotypical than that. So what do we think? Do we think baguettes or uh, like Eiffel Towers? Camembert. Wheels of Camembert. Uh, we'll call it baguettes. Baguettes out of five. Baguettes out of five. How many baguettes out of five? Does this tour get? It it, it kind of is difficult to answer because you actually see so little of it when you're on the ground. And I might actually just take this opportunity to say when I sat listening to the Cycling Tips podcast this time last year or previous years, of course, it didn't happen in July last year, but you know what I mean. I thought that what are they talking about? What are they saying? <laughs> well, that would be an easy job. Uh, it's actually not. No, you you uh, yeah scramble to catch enough of the race to. To, uh, to to really understand what's happening. So with that in mind, it's kind of, and coupled with the fact that, you know, Pogaccia won by five minutes. He had that five minute lead before we even came into the Pyrenees. It sort of dampens it a bit for me. And, you know, the suspense of even even last year, like it, it looked like Roglic was going to win. And it looked like he had Pogaccia under control. And of course, the final time trial then made it a 10 out of 10 tour or a five out of five. You know, even before that, we had we had different riders running on mountain stages. We had, I think, we had one boring stage that ultimately Pogaccia won. Uh, not boring, but one mountain top finish that didn't live up to its potential. And it, compared to last year, even I just think this year's been so much less. Uh, not so uh, compared to last year, even I think this this tour just isn't quite as good. And for that reason, I'm probably going to give it three baguettes out of five. I actually think three is is generous for this particular tour. And I will also preface this with, like Ronan said, when you're at the tour, it's, it's hard to really gauge. And so what we end up doing is we, we kind of end up gauging, like, what's the excitement in the press room, for example? And, and granted, reporters, we view it a little bit differently because we basically just want stories, right? We, just, we like controversy. We like stories. We like stuff to be happening all the time. It's, it's different than, than what you get just watching on TV, right? where you just want really good racing, where we have sort of other concerns and not better, it's just different, right? Um, but like the mood in the press room, this race was 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 dampened. It was quiet. Uh, the So the, the, the winner's press conference traditionally happens after the penultimate stage, not the final stage. So we won't, we won't do it tonight. Pogacar will go off and have dinner tonight or I think probably fly to Tokyo probably pretty soon. Uh, it always happens on the, on the on the 
right after the penultimate stage. And so last night we had that press conference and, and generally it's kind of a big deal. It's, it's, you know, everybody's there and sometimes, they, sometimes the reporters clap, which is a bit weird. Didn't clap last night, but also didn't ask kind of any really pressing questions. No, no, no. Usually somebody, somebody will go, Hey, you doping? <laughs> like literally, like someone will just ask that question. None of that. No, no insinuations. No, no more questions about motors. No more. None of this stuff. Just like sort of bland questions the whole way through. Um, I tried to get a question at the very end to ask how Tade felt about all the bland questions he just had to answer, but uh, unfortunately did not get my hand up in time. Got beaten to it. The, I guess that's that's indicative to me of sort of the general feeling about this race, which is like like I like Tade Pogacar. I think he's. I think he's a pretty fun guy. He's funny. He like does silly stuff on camera. He seems like he's got a personality buried underneath there. And, and in particular, kind of buried behind his not yet perfect command of the English language. Um, you know, there are other riders that don't speak great English that you can kind of tell not, not a whole lot back there. I feel like there's a lot back there. I feel like he's a really interesting guy. But I just I struggle to sort of connect with him just yet. And I think that that a lot of fans probably feel that way. A lot of the press feels that way. He's just a little bit, he's so young. He's so, he's just really different from what we've experienced for the last 10 years. He is a polar opposite of Chris Froome. He's a polar opposite of Bradley Wiggins, right? He is A, much, much younger. B, just a totally different personality. Uh, and as yeah, as a result, it's, it's, it's just hard to, it's hard for me to, to connect with him. And so that fact, paired with the fact that we, basically had this race wrapped up on stage eight, I believe it was. Um, you know, good KOM fight is not enough. Good stage wins, not really enough. I'm going to give this one two baguettes out of five. I realized that was a long explanation, but it's going to get two baguettes out of five for me because frankly, it was one of the most, I don't want to say boring, just had the, the, the fewest high points, basically. Uh, a really good tour. It's going to have boring moments. It's going to have moments where you don't really have to pay attention. It's also going to have a pile of, of, of moments that are just incredible. And this one had a few. It had Mark Cavendish, most of all. But it had almost none of those in the GC fight. Almost none. One 15-second blip on Bontu does not count. <laughs> so for that, two baguettes. How long are the baguettes that we're talking about? That's uh, just your just your standard issue French baguette. Because you get yeah. some really long baguettes, and if that was the case, I might downgrade my three. But <laughs> if we're talking normal baguettes, I'm going to stay with three. I, think, I mean, you can you can make an argument for three. I think because of Mark Cavendish. So we are currently standing next to the UAE bus and the Dakunin Quick Step bus, and guess which one has more fans around it? The UAE. No, the Dakunin Quick Step bus. If you went and rocked oh, around okay. that bus right there, is Hacked over there. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Look at it. You can see. Uh, yeah, well, my 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 view is sort of obscured a little bit. <laughs> it is actually. You can't see the front of the bus. No, it's 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 it has been that way for much of the last half hour. It shifts back and forth a little bit, but I think that kind of tells you everything you know. Like Cav, Cav was the story. This this Tour de France. Absolutely, Cav was the story. This Tour de France. Think he'll be back next year. Will Cavendish be back next year? Whoa. I 
I still can't see how the Conan Quickstep can put all their sprinting eggs in the Mark Cavendish basket. Like he is, he is getting on in, in years. You know, there's no denying that. And uh, while we have seen him dominate the sprint stages of this of this tour, I do think that is a very different story. If you have Sam Bennett here, if you have Caleb Ewan here, you know the effectively the two riders who everybody was wondering which one will win the sprint stages in the Tour de France neither of them got to contest the sprint properly um, and, and I think that has I'm not trying to take away from what Cavendish has achieved here but I think going forward you know that 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 will remain the case that those two guys are the, the fastest in the world and somebody will be coming after them and realistically speaking you know how many more years can can Cav get so I think the Koenig has to has to look for an, a new sprinter. Of course, Bennett's moving on from there. Uh, and which new top-level sprinter are they going to bring in? Who's going to be happy to let Cavendish go to the Tour instead? Mm. Yeah, I'm a bit, I, mm. um, unless, of course, you know they bring in a new top-level sprinter who happens to get a knee injury that <laughs> gets plastered all over the press. And yeah, that, that could happen again, I guess. Could happen. Could happen. We don't know. Before we wrap up here, Ronan. We have another sponsor today. In 2018, Rafa published the roadmap following a two-year research project that investigated how cycling can be made more exciting and more valuable. The recommendations in the roadmap guide all of Rafa's investments and have led to the launch of the Rafa Foundation, focused on grassroots of the sport. Founded in 2019 with the mission of building a better future for cycling and cyclists, the Rafa Foundation funds organizations around the world committed to inspiring, empowering, and supporting the next generation of riders and racers. The Rafa Foundation invests $1.5 million a year into grassroots organizations. Throughout the past two years, the foundation has granted funding to the Major Taylor Project in Seattle, NICA, Cycle Kids, and Star Trek in New York, Detroit Fitness Foundation, the Mud Fund, the Amy D Foundation, Boulder Junior Cycling, and many more. Thank you, Rafa, for not only supporting this episode, for their work towards making cycling better into the future. All right, Ronan, I think it's I think it's time for us to wrap up. Everyone's riders are getting their pizza. The last but not least, who is the 2021 Tour de France's Mayo Sabla, the ninth most prestigious jersey of the Tour de France? Well, the finalists are <laughs> Wojt van Aert and Boykamalama. Oh. And the winner of this year's Mayo Sabla at the Tour de France is Boykamalama. I I, he just went by. We should have grabbed him. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh. That man don't have time for us. He may never know. <laughs> he may never know about his Mayo Sabla now. That's unfortunate for him. It's very sad. Well, congrats to Baca. It's, uh sun's going down. We're here in the Champs. Light's getting good. We need to go send this audio off to Abby. Vampire's about to come out. We need to get the heck away from the Kofidis bus. Abby has been uh, producing and editing these all month, and we've been sending them to her at all sorts of hours. So thank you to Abby. And please, Abby, don't pull that out. I know you'll want to. <laughs> thank you to Abby, uh, and thanks to everybody who has listened throughout the entire three weeks. We love hearing from you. And it's, some, it's super fun to actually run into some of you over here, which is starting to happen again. Maybe, 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 maybe we can do some sort of, I don't know, podcast meetup next year. 
at the Tour de France. From the Champs-Élysées in Paris, I'm Kaylee Fritz. Ronan McLaughlin would say something, but he just ran away to get a picture of Wild Bon Art. And we are out of here. Bye, everybody. Ronan wanted to say goodbye. Ronan. Slán August Bannock. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> goodbye and good luck. In what? In Irish. Oh, cool. <laughs>